Well, we're in the second week of this series that we started. Uh, we're calling The Cure. It's a sermon series from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And, and I'll just tell you, if you missed last week, I, I strongly uh, want to encourage you uh, to go back and listen to last week's message. They're available on our website. They're available on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, if you're a podcast person, all of our message are, messages are available wherever you listen to your podcast. The reason that I want to encourage you uh, to go back is because last week was uh, the introduction to what this entire series is going to be about. Uh, we looked at uh, last week the history of the church, which is extremely important in understanding uh, this letter that Paul wrote to them. We, we looked at the history of the city uh, where this church is located. And, and then we looked at the context behind why Paul actually wrote this letter to the church uh, to begin with there in Corinth. And, and what we learned is that there were several issues that were uh, going on there in the church in Corinth that, that Paul addresses in this letter here in 1 Corinthians, issues that honestly uh, are not a whole lot different uh, than a lot of the issues that uh, churches are facing today. Uh, and we talked about the fact that there are just so many things going on in our world right now that's trying, Satan's using to try to get us distracted from the things of God and the work that God would be having us to do in our world uh, today. Uh, and the most, and, and you know, keeping us distracted from the most important thing, which is our relationship with Him. And we talked about, you know, everything from illnesses to uh, good grief, a pandemic that has lasted uh, over two years now. To people being so busy. I've, I never remember a time in my life when people were, were more busy and more exhausted uh, than they are right now. And then, of course, you know, I, I don't know if any of you noticed this or not, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of division in our world today. Not just in our world, but, but in our nation and even right here in our community, there's division. It, it seems like everybody you know, just wants to be critical of everything. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be the loudest voice. You know, everybody uh, wants their opinion to be uh, the one that, that's heard and accepted. And, and so that's what drew me to this letter, to this letter that, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, because things at the church in Corinth, I mean, they've got issues. There, there's some turmoil taking place there. And Paul basically is writing this letter in order to just cut through all the noise, cut through the chaos that's going on, not only in their city, uh, but also that is bled over into the church. And to remind them, to remind them of the cure. And for Paul and for us, the cure is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That is the cure. The gospel would and always will cut through the noise, cut through the chaos, and put things that don't matter. And like I always say, Grandma used to say, things that honestly don't amount to a hill of beans, right? 
put all those things behind us and keep the main thing the main thing. And that's the message of Jesus and that Jesus saves and we can trust him and we should love him. The good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for his church. That is the cure against anything that Satan is going to throw at the church and at your family. And the first obstacle, the first issue that we saw arise last week as we kind of got an introduction to this letter, uh, Paul takes the first four chapters to address it here in his letter, and that's the issue of division in the church. And he points out that, you know what, division is really more about people's personal preferences and their opinions than it is anything else. And and we saw that some, you know, uh, there are all these different groups in the church that some felt that theology and the study of God's Word was the most important thing that should be happening in the church. And then there was this other group of people that was like, you know, but but we'd rather have We'd rather have, instead of somebody, you know, being in depth and going into the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all that stuff, we'd rather have somebody teaching us that was a dynamic speaker and, and kept our attention and, you know, was really growing the church because they had a great personality. And all of these things were, were going on. And, and while there were other people that were in the church that really didn't think that the church was that important at all, Right? This would have been your home church, folks. You know, they, they, they really didn't see the importance in all these church uh, things. And so, in addressing this, and Paul beginning this letter, speaking to this division, uh, these debates that are going on, we're going to see this morning, Paul gives us three aspects of the cure as it relates to division that may trickle in Uh, to the church. And the first aspect of the cure this morning is this. We must understand what unity is. (laughs) We must understand what unity is, and we also need to understand what unity isn't. Because Paul says here in verse 10, he says, be perfectly what? He says, be perfectly united in mind and thought. So be united how? By, by just some, you know, somehow magically, I'm going to stand up here today and I'm going to say just the right words and I'm going to wave my magic wand and all of us in here are going to start agreeing on everything. Is that what he's talking about? No, because I know you and you think you're always right. I know me, and I know I'm always right, right? And and so, you know, Paul's not saying you got to agree on everything all the time. That's not what he's talking about. He doesn't write to them in order to settle the debate. He doesn't write to them in order to, you know, settle their arguments. He he doesn't even offer to come back and have a business meeting, (laughs) So we can get this all out in the air, we can get it all resolved, settle our differences, and be united. But instead, he says, be united in mind and thought. 
And what he means by that is this. Be united in mind and thought about the gospel. The main thing. The cure. Be united in mind and thought about the cure for all of humanity. And for the church. We must all have the same understanding. We must all have the same convictions about the importance of the gospel. Especially over the secondary things that Paul's addressing here in his letter. You know, and a lot of people may call for unity in the church. But you know what? All they really want is for you to agree with them. A lot of people say, oh, I want unity. And the only way we're going to have unity is when you agree with my opinion. And you agree with my preference. And you sing the songs. Oh, no, I ain't going there. But friends, that's not unity. For us all to agree about everything. Unity is not having a church where everybody agrees on everything. We established that last week because that's just simply not going to happen. It's also not a biblical vision of the church that we learn about in the New Testament. The New Testament church is a church where Jesus and the message of Jesus is such a priority that it makes all of these disagreements, all of these opinions, all of these personal preferences, it makes all of those things less important. I just want to be honest with you today, and I shared some of this. Are they having a party out there in the lobby? Can you all hear them? Somebody real big step out there and tell them to hush. No, I'm kidding. They just heard me. There's a... There's a speaker out there. Listen now. Listen. No, they can't, they can't hear the speaker because they're so loud. I, I'm sorry. I'm easily distracted. If your guest is visiting with us today, it is what it is. All right? <clears throat> if a wasp flies by, we're done. It's happened. I shared with our board. We had a board meeting the other night. I love our board. But I just want to be honest with you today. I've been in ministry now for around 25 years. And probably the most difficult and most disappointing thing for me since I've been in ministry is what we've experienced the last two years. Mm. I've got two friends today that are resigning, and today will be their last day in their church. Because it's been hard. As pastors, not just, not just me, I'm, I'm speaking about all pastors, have watched people who were willingly they walked away from the church over small disagreements. At least they were small in light of the gospel and in light of eternity. Friends, people, not just here, 
But all over this nation, people left churches because their pastor didn't say enough about the cultural and racial issues that were going on. There were people who left their churches because the pastor said too much about the cultural issues that were going on. Or people didn't like how the church leadership handled the mask debate. They didn't like it that their pastor encouraged them to get a vaccine. So they left. Or the pastor made a joke about ivermectin. So they left. That was me, by the way. So they left. I'll be perfectly honest with you today. Lynette and I were having this conversation recently, and y'all about convinced me on the ivermectin deal. Um, we got two good friends that have shared with us recently that in the two years they've been taking ivermectin, they've not been bit by a tick. Hey, a tick almost killed me, so. But folks, these people were people who had been in the church for years. These were, these were people who had been in the church for decades. I had married their kids, buried their loved ones, and walked with them through joy and through heartache. And they walk away from the church because they disagreed with what we were doing about masks. I was telling our board, I've got friends that pastor churches that are on both sides of this mask issue, or were on both sides of it. Some of my friends lost people in their church because they asked people to just simply follow the mandate and wear masks for, to be safe. And so they lost people. I've got other friends that pastor churches, and they didn't ask anybody to wear a mask, and they lost people. <laughs> and you may not agree with a lot of things, but can we just all agree today that these things are small things compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Do we have the same convictions about the gospel that we had about masks? Do we have the same convictions about the gospel and understanding the importance of that and putting it first? In all things, unity is not a church where everybody's going to agree on everything. Unity is where we are like-minded and take a clear stance on the most important things. The things in God's Word. 
throughout Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to see this as we go through it, he will identify certain beliefs and he will say, we have to agree on this. We have to agree on these things or we lose our identity as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus. We have to all agree that our identity is in Christ. Things, and we need to stick to and not sugarcoat or whitewash the fact that you can only be saved through Jesus Christ, through the work that He did on the cross of Calvary. We have to agree on the fact that that's salvation. It comes through faith, believing in Jesus. We, we have to stand on the fact that we believe there is, uh, the, there is no errors in the Word of God or in the Scripture. And, and even that God's design for gender and sexuality is spelled out for us, and it is the truth, and it is not debatable, right? And for the sake of unity, we cannot whitewash these things, and we can't ignore it. It is what it is. It is the truth. And these are important things that Paul will say. Our identity is in these things, and it has to be. All this other, secondary. All this other don't matter. And so, for the sake of unity, we can't not talk about them. But we have to be very careful that we are united when it comes to the right things, the most important things, the truth of the Word of God, and most importantly, folks, the gospel and the work of Christ in people's lives. Unity is having the same conviction about the gospel and His Word, the same understanding of its importance, and viewing everything else through that lens. Which leads us to Paul's second aspect of the cure, and it's this. We must embrace grace and not pride. We must embrace grace and not pride. This is the main point, really, that we're going to see in our passage today. Go back with me. Olivia did a, such a great job. She pronounced all those words right, and, and I botched them in that early service. And so thank you, Olivia, for saying them right for us today. Let's go back to verse 13, though. Paul says this, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. Except Crispus and Gauss, Gaius, Olivia, what, how is it? Gaius, okay, thank you. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody, right? And, and yes, I'm going to chase this rabbit because this is just funny to me. I love this, right? And we, you know, you need to know that, that Paul did not write this, right? We say this is a letter from Paul. Paul actually spoke this to a scribe who wrote all this down, all right? Now, does that help you understand this a little better? This scribe is trying to write down everything that Paul says. And so, Paul is like, you know, I didn't baptize any of you. It, well, except for, yeah, those two guys, wait, uh, Crispus and, and, and Gauss or, or whatever, and, and maybe one other guy. 
and he's sitting here, he's talking, you know, this, and the scribe's trying to write, and he said, yeah, and maybe that guy's Stephanus. In fact, yeah, I did baptize, and you know what, I may have baptized some more people in his house. You know, I don't remember, honestly, it's all a, a little hazy, you know. This reminds me of, and, and if I've told this story before, uh, I apologize, I'll probably tell it ten more times, but... Uh, it reminds me of a time, one time, you remember, the, uh, Lynette, that time I forgot that I'd preached somebody's funeral? Oh my goodness, that was horrible. Uh, it was at the height of really bad back trouble for me. Um, it was before I'd had, you know, the surgery and, and all that stuff. And so Lynette and I were in a doctor's office. Needless to say, um, I was um, inebriated. All right, uh, I was on painkillers and was proud of it. Uh, and so anyway, we're, we've been in to see the doctor. We're coming out. I ran into this old family friend of mine, been friends, you know, all my life. We were raised in church together, running to him. We're standing there talking to him, and I was like, hey, man, how's your dad doing? And Lynette gives me like the dirtiest look, and she, you know, she changes the subject. And, and so, you know, that kind of annoyed me, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling it, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You were like this last night, and, and I was feeling it, and so I just interjected again. So how's your daddy doing? And now him and Lynette both are giving me dirty looks, and Lynette interrupts again, and that just makes me mad. And so I just interrupt them, and I say, so is your dad doing okay? And he looks at me and goes, Steve, you preached his funeral. And I was, I was like, oh, my goodness. So this is, this is kind of like Paul here. I don't know who I baptized. Don't ask me if I baptized you because I'm not going to remember it. Paul don't even remember it, right? And he, he said, hey, here's the deal. That was not what it was about, right? That's what he's saying. I digressed. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 17, he said, for Christ did not send me to baptize what did he send me to do? To preach the gospel, not with wisdom, and we learn, definitely not with eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And we talked about this a little last week, but Paul knows he's not the greatest preacher around. You know, he knew that, you know, he wasn't eloquent, and he, you know, he couldn't preach like Apollos could, and, he, you know he, know, he knows that. But Paul's point is this. He's not about winning people over to himself. He, he's not about winning people over to his personality. He's not about winning people over to his preaching style. He says, listen, the, the, the power's not in me or what I say. The power is in my message. The power is in the gospel, and that is all, period. That's where the power comes from. Verse 20, he says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger 
than human strength. And what Paul is doing here is he's basically identifying several things that don't bring about salvation. But instead, what brings about salvation? It's God's grace. It's His grace. Jesus didn't save the world through philosophical wisdom, right? Jesus didn't save the world through His earthly success. He, He didn't save the world through, you know, some strong military might like the Jews wanted and expected from the Messiah. Jesus... Jesus didn't save the world by modeling for the world what it looked like to obey the law. The ones who knew the law best, the Pharisees, totally missed the Messiah. In fact, they were his biggest opponents. He didn't save the world through the law. Now, that doesn't mean that all of these things aren't, you know, somewhat significant, right? It just means that God didn't save us by sending down a teacher to educate us. God didn't save us by sending down a politician to reform us. God didn't save us by sending us a a life coach to help us get it all together. Or a military leader to protect us. He sent a substitute to die for us. To live a life that we were supposed to live and die a death that we were condemned to die. And now Paul says he saves us through what? The foolishness of that message. How foolish that sounds to to other folks. He saves us through the foolishness of preaching. And that doesn't mean that I'm up here acting like a circus clown, even though some of y'all think I am, Um, including my family. Um... What it means here, what Paul is saying here is this. What I'm preaching and what I'm saying, listen, it's simple. It is so simple. Christ did it all. Trust in Him. Christ did it all. Lean on Him. Christ did it all. Love Him. So now in verse 23 and 24, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We get wisdom. We get power. We get righteousness through Christ. And that's it. And so my goal is not to fill your heads with enough knowledge that somehow God will accept you because you know enough now. My goal is not to give you enough wisdom that you never have any problems in your life or in your family. My goal is that you would see the beauty of Jesus Christ and that you would learn to trust Him and that you would learn to love Him. It's not complicated It's not complicated by worldly standards. It's rather foolish and rather simple. Christ did it all trusting. So what does that have to do with unity? (laughs) Everything. Because here's the deal. When you embrace the message of grace, I mean really and truly embrace it and experience that. 
this spirit of division leaves you. Because the heart of division, at the heart of that, is pride. At the heart of division is pride. I want you to think about it. Having more knowledge than others makes people feel more righteous than others. That's pride. Being successful in church growth makes people feel better and more righteous than others. That's pride. But we're not saved by any of those things, are we? We're saved by Christ and Christ alone. And when you embrace that, when you embrace grace, pride will crumble and the spirit of division will fall on its face. And that brings us to the third and final aspect of the cure today, and it's this. Christ is the cure, and that must be the biggest thing. Verse 13, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Again, he's asking, who is your salvation? Who is your salvation in? I I find it interesting. A lot of times when a, a pastor resigns or retires and leaves a church, How many people will leave the church at that time as well? As if their salvation was in that one man. Folks, if I I get hit by a bus this week, and we're talking about, where were we talking about? Why is it always a bus? Where were we talking about that? Why why is our fate always a bus? If I get hit by a trash truck this week, (laughs) that's what will get me. Um... Every single one of y'all should be here next Sunday. Regardless of who's preaching or how boring they may be, your salvation is not through me. Your salvation is not through a speaker. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's asking the question, who is your salvation in? Because it's all about Christ. These other things, these secondary things cannot be your identity. Paul's not saying that when you get saved, your opinions and your personal preferences are just going to go away. All right, He's not. What he is saying, though, is that, you know what? Those things will become less important. That's what he's saying. Things like chairs or pews. A split of church, I'm telling you. Mask or no mask. New music or old music. That one will never die. Green carpet or no carpet. Ivermectin or vaccines. And when we are divided over things like that, it's a sign that the cure in your heart 
is too small. And these secondary things are too big. So I was thinking about this. I, of course, I think of everything in terms of sports, right? Love sports. I love my hogs. Some days I hate my hogs. Yesterday. But I was thinking about it. You know what? When I go to a Razorback game, I don't always like the seats that I'm in. Um, I remember being at the Kentucky game one time, and I was in the top row. I mean, the farthest away from the court that anyone could possibly be. I was like, boy, this is a way to get humbled, Steve. Um, the worst seat in the house. We may not always like our seats. I don't like the fact that they only sell Coke products and not Pepsi, right? Or have I got that backwards? I think I'm right. Dan, am I right? It's Pepsi. They only sell Pepsi. I'm sorry. Not Coke. I don't like it when they come out wearing those anthracite uniforms. I think they ought to wear red and white. That's the color of my hogs, right? I haven't always liked the coach. I don't always like the starting lineup that he plays. But when that whistle blows, we are all on the same team. When that whistle blows, we're all cheering for those hogs with the ultimate goal in mind. Friends, that's how it's got to be in the church. There's a lot of things we may not like, a lot of things we may not agree on, a lot of things that we're different on. But we got to keep the main thing the main thing. We must be so passionate about the team. Folks, we got folks on the team right now that are hurting bad. And some of them need to be carried. And that's our responsibility. Because they're on our team. We've got to be passionate about the team. We've got to be passionate about the church of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have through Him because that is what unites us as a team. And as I said, one of the most disappointing things to me about the last two years was how it became clear for so many Christians their politics and their preferences were so big and their Christ was so small. That was shown by how quickly so many canceled their church membership over some small thing that became in their heart bigger than Christ. So church, Paul encourages us, and I encourage you today too, Let's commit to make the gospel. Let's commit to make the cure the one thing that we are united on. The one thing that we rally around. The one thing that we are passionate about. The one thing that consumes us. The thing that is so large in our hearts that all the other differences, all the other things seem, because they are, small. 
and insignificant. And I, and I want to be clear today. I hope you're not misunderstanding me because I'm not talking about ever backing down from preaching the Word of God. All right? I, I'm not talking about that. We have to be unapologetic about our stand when it comes to the sanctity of marriage, right? Or, or the sanctity of life and God's design for gender and sexuality and other unpopular things in our world and our culture today, even if we can't back down from those things, folks, even if it means somebody getting mad and leaving the church over it, we can't sugarcoat it, we can't wash it, uh, whitewash it. It is the truth, and we can't turn away. We can't back down from the things that our identity are in. But we as a church must be a church where we want Christ to be exalted and lifted up and for Him to be seen, Him to be heard, and Him to be known because salvation only comes through Him. And our identity in Him must be our voice. Our identity in Christ must be our voice. Not our politics. Where is our voice the loudest these last two years? Well, it's been in what I think. It's what I think. What I think is that Christ is the answer. Christ is the cure. Christ is all that really matters. And everything else in this world needs to be viewed through the lens of that. And you know what? All of that other stuff will look so small compared to how big He is. Our identity in Him must be our voice. The cure that cuts through all the noise and all the chaos. And friends, it will give us clarity about who we are. And more importantly, and even more exciting than that, where we're going. Where we're going in the days ahead. And I'll be honest, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to where we're going in the days ahead. I believe God is preparing us and His church universal for something really cool because I believe there will be a, another great awakening before He comes back to get His church. And Friends, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what He's doing. I want to be a part of what He's doing in you what he's doing in our church, and what he's doing all over this world today. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for this reminder today about what's truly important. God, today, I pray that you would forgive me when things that really don't matter have become larger than who you are what you've done I know all of this specifically in this local church right here begins in the leadership it begins in the pastor and so God forgive me when I've not got it right when I failed at the very thing that I've stood here and preached today God the, the message in your word is not just for the church it's also for the pastor it's for all of us. 
And Satan would love nothing more than for us to get distracted about things that are so small, so trivial, in light of the fact that every person that we encounter tomorrow, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the cafe, regardless of where we go tomorrow, every person that we encounter has a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. That's what matters. That's what matters. And we have been entrusted with the cure. We have been entrusted with the salvation that you freely gave to us. To spread that and to share that with a dying world. And so God help me. Help us all. Instead of condemning those who haven't accepted you. That we would figure out a way to. Love them into the body. And we would view them through the lens of the cross. All that stuff, all of our differences are so small. So small. When we consider the fact that all of us are going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell. And you've tasked us with sharing the cure to those who are going to hell. Find us faithful as we go out from this place. I pray that we would be obedient. We'd be a reflection of our good Father. Thank you for loving us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you, and I hope you have a great day.